Right. With me, I have Mr. Daryl Walker. He is a singer, yes, saxophone player here in San Diego, California. He specializes in R&B, pop, blues, jazz. He pretty much does it all. Um, and I can just say from personal experience working with him, his work is stunning. If anybody caught the uh, teaser clip that I put online, his voice is just amazing. You've got to check out his stuff. He has two new singles, um, Need You In My Life, and uh, it's an Algero Hiram Bullock cover. Oh, and an an Algero and Hiram Bullock cover of You Send Me. And that was performed live at the Laguna Festival of the Arts. And that's soon to be released. It's not released yet, right? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Boom. okay. It's going to come out on Polyphemus Records of uh, the UK. Awesome. Well, we'll all look forward to that. Um, but you, you do it all. You play some incredible venues, private events, premier jazz events, and um, you're in on great recording sessions, um, doing leads and backgrounds, horn parts. Um, you are even bilingual, and you've had... Point. <laughs> What's that? To a point. <laughs> to a point. Okay. Well, good enough that you caught the attention of the world-renowned Latin artist, Luis Miguel. You've recorded some of his um, guide tracks in pre-production. So I would say that you got to know what you're doing a little bit, I would think. But anyway, you've also been featured um, as a backup vocalist on The Late Late Show. You've done all kinds of really, really great session work um, with big companies like Dole, Pringles, Toyota, um, Honey Nut Cheerios, which I like a lot. And um, you're great. You're great in the studio. I recently had uh, the pleasure of working with you in the studio with uh, Rebecca Jade, and we had a great time. That was so much fun. It was so much fun. So welcome, Daryl Walker. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having me. How are you? What have you been up to since this... Uh, quarantine situation we're in well uh in order of the events taking place chronologically let's see learning how to deal with the angst of not being able to perform that's mm -hmm. one thing healing from uh an accident and a motorcycle accident which was just a freak thing no fault in any direction but it's one of those things that happened in uh reaching out and, and, and flexing, as I like to say, the international side of what I do. I collaborate internationally, mostly with people in the UK. Uh, one Italian friend of mine, um, Roberto uh, Tola. Uh-oh, we're freezing. We're having a few little technical difficulties tonight with our connection. So I am going to stall because Daryl is probably going to try to reconnect. So in the meantime, while he is reconnecting, I'm going to say hello. We got a few people out there tonight. Hey, Darrell Anthony, how are you doing? Good to see you out there watching. Appreciate you being there with us. Um, are you there, Daryl? Yes. Oh, okay. You're back. Okay. So you were just telling me about your collaboration with your Italian friend. Oh yeah. Roberto Tola. Yes. He's an amazing guitarist in Italy that, uh, he lives on the Island of Sardinia. So he's, he's in paradise every day, wow. but, uh, we, we've done a few recordings together virtually mm -hmm. and, um, we did them. Uh, he sent me his, his materials and then I went over to my friend Tom Zink's place. The guy I told you about did the video and stuff for the Algero project. Yeah. Uh, and he tracked my vocals and then we sent them over and Roberto laid them in real well. And, and uh, it's, it's the first one I did was called slow motion um, with him. Mm -hmm. New one, I honestly forgot the title because it's so recent and I've done a few other things since then. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, look at Roberto Tolo's music and, and uh, you'll see me on that stuff. But uh, just trying to, to make things make sense during this crazy time, trying to support other artists. And, and um, it's funny you bring up Darrell because as soon as, um, as I sat in with you guys, I made a point to befriend him because there's stuff that sometimes I can't do mm -hmm. that I love to pass off to people that I trust, that I know have the ability to, to excel and, and do a great job. Yes. And um, in fact, I did stem on his way, but he was already busy. But... I believe in networking. 
you know, I'm one of those people that there's, I believe there's enough for everyone in this mm-hmm. business to, to succeed as long as they're hardworking, talented, and actually have the goods. Um, I don't skimp when it comes to recommending people or trying to make the community grow in terms mm-hmm. of how many talented people we can stuff into it. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting to watch other people blossom just as much as it is to be on your own journey and watch things happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's smart. I totally agree too. That's a good mindset to have around, especially also finding those other people like in your same sphere of work that you can count on and trust um, <sighs> to refer to other people. And you, that is important. You do have to vet people. I wouldn't just oh. like, recommend because like, oh, I heard this person is good because you just never know what is somebody's going to do. <laughs> yeah. But truth? when you find those people that you can trust, um, you just got to share the love and just, you know, be um, really grateful that you have somebody that can stand in for you because oh, stuff absolutely. happens. Stuff sure. happens sometimes. And I didn't know he was playing piano. When he put up that video of him, do- I went, what? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to, I have to boost, I have to date. This has to go out. People, check out my new friend. <laughs> I know. He's I like, great. Man, that is just amazing, you yeah. know? He's very humble about his skills too, but I can say for probably the past two or three years, he's the type where like in the green room when we're waiting, he's practicing chords and, you know, (laughs) working it all the time. That's what it takes. Yeah. People don't, people are not in this industry. Don't understand really a lot of times what it takes to do this. It's not, you know, one person once told me, Oh, well, you know, you guys are lucky. You get to do what you love and you're not, constant party all the time all the time time. sorry but that's not true (laughs) there's so much work that goes in before and after the performance the actual performance the performance is the payoff that load in setup you know sound checking making everything perfect and now that's all providing that you've done all the work ahead of time with the rehearsals and knowing the material and getting everything tight that way Mm -hmm. you know then you come to the actual show and there's all this other work to do the pre the performance and the, the post mm-hmm. you know, and the post is the one that kills you because you're, you're, you're standing there. In my case, I'm dealing with two wireless systems, one for my vocals, one for my horn. I got mm-hmm. maybe one or more horns to set up or tear down to put away. And, and I take, I'm meticulous about it cause I don't like leaving things. Mm-hmm. So it takes me a while, you know, I don't want to leave or, or give away anything as I like to say, yeah. but there's a lot of work involved with doing this, you know, and, and, uh, like I say, the performance is a payoff. So anyone that thinks it's just some party or when are you going to get a real job? I heard a friend of mine's dad say that to him one time. Went, <laughs> yeah. You just got a master's degree in music and your father's asking you when are you going to get a real job? Oh, burn. This is a real job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, more, it's more real than a real job because it's all on you. You get out of it what you put into it. That's very, very true. Yeah. The, uh, the, the pay grade definitely kind of coincides with the amount of work that you've put into it. I mean, I've, I've done, I've done it all from like, you know, bar gigs, which are absolutely fun. You know, they're typically not high paying, but they are um, a lot of fun and all gigs really are fun, you know, to a certain degree, but, um, but yeah, definitely it gets a little, um, less social and, um, party time (laughs) as you get into them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And Darrell thanks you for the kind words. No, Um, he's just amazing. You know, Um, you can't know too many people in this industry. You know, you never know who you're going to wind up working with or who's going to recommend you might even not, you might not even know that they recommended you. It'll just happen. And then someone will say, Oh yeah. Oh, so-and-so told me about you. Oh, Oh really? You know? Well, speaking of that, that's how I came to know you because, um, Leonard Tucker worked in the mighty untouchables for years of him. Yeah. And he's, he's amazing. I mean, he's incredible. Great human being, great, human, great, great great vocalist. And, um, there were occasions when, um, you know, he, he was touring with another group while he was with us as well. And, um, you were always at the very top of his list and, you know, recommended you all the time. It just wasn't, it wasn't often. Um, but when we needed somebody, when, um, Darrell was not available, you, your name came to mind first. So I got to meet you and that's how it works. That's so cool. And anytime I can return the favor, I will, you know, Yeah. definitely. That's awesome. 
Well, Daryl, tell me about this Al Jarreau project that you have going on. I listened to it today and it's incredible. Oh, thank you so much. That, that, you know what, it's funny, that thing, uh, that project was a labor of love that began about 30 years ago. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, I have to be honest, that's about how long ago I conceived actually doing something like that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until two years ago that I was actually able to pull it off financially and, you know, with the wherewithal, everything I need to go on to make it happen. So, um, basically just before he died, unfortunately, I had been thinking about doing some sort of thing like this, but then when, when, when he actually passed, it became even more important for me because he was one of those silent mentors who mm-hmm. didn't realize he was a mentor to me. Um, during my military time in Germany, I stayed in my barracks uh, um, and I spent a lot of time studying his music and enjoying it and didn't realize that through osmosis, <laughs> I was just taking on a lot of this, this stuff. Mm-hmm. Jay Graydon compositions that, that, that you know, the, the co-writing that they did together. He wrote with so many people, George Duke, uh, Nathan East, his, who was at one time his live bass player for many years. And then he did a lot of work with a new friend of mine, another new friend of mine named uh, Chris Walker. And Chris Walker is is a force to be reckoned with, an incredible vocalist, incredible bass player. He he does kind of a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got this project right here. You can see that on the mm, yeah. Yeah, he Chris did Walker. he did an amazing job with these songs. He has Gerald Albright on it, Regina Bell, Randy Brecker, Rick Braun, Will Downing, Nathan, you know, David Foster's on there, Bob James, just the, the who's who yeah. of the music world helped him to pull this off and inside. What does that say? Can you see it? It's Algero and his picture together. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, they had, wow. he had a, a very personal relationship. He wasn't just a side man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Alzro took him on as, as like another son. Mm-hmm. So, you know, him completing this project was real important because he was driven, spiritually driven to do this. And, and we became friends and he found out that I was a big fan and I was doing this and he encouraged, you know, so fast forward, we get the guys together, people that I've grown up with and everyone on that stage that you saw with the exception of one singer, mm-hmm. I have known for a long time and and I've worked with in different situations. So I knew, okay, this wasn't hard. Choosing the people to do it wasn't difficult. But what was difficult is making sure the quality level was there so that the songs, you know, we paid homage to the songs and, and, and did so with integrity. I didn't want the music to come out sounding like some guy who's up there, you know, putting his own personality into somebody else's stuff to the point of it not being recognizable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that, you know. Yeah. But that's just my own personal thing. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to try to be him, but I did want to represent his material as accurately as possible because it's no small feat to take on Algero music. It's, 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 no, pretty, it's, it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's pretty intense. You know, even I, I found more through doing it that it was way more intense than I even thought it was because the first set I ever did, I think, wound up to be a 90 minute show because that's the time I had to fill. So I had to sing about 20 songs back to back. Wow. You know? And that, that kind of stuff for 20 songs is, is challenging. It's, yeah. it's, I was exhausted by the end of the show. I didn't even touch my saxophone. I'm like the hell with that. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is hard enough. I'm not doing that too. <laughs> so, but it, it, it was just something I always wanted to do that I had, the perfect venue, the perfect timing, everything was was just like the planets had aligned. God said, okay, young man, go forth and prosper. And um, everyone fell in line. Everyone in the band is really excited about doing that because they love that music. So, you know, no one has to conjure up anything like, okay, here we go. Uh, we got to do this. They're all in it to win it because they really want to do it. And, and so that's why it came off the way it did. We did two rehearsals. Um, I gave everyone stuff so that they could work on their own and they came ready, man. They, they just, it, it blew me away. The first rehearsal, I was just blown away because I didn't have to lead really. Mm-hmm. I was just the face of it because they were all ready to go. So all I had to do is just say, okay, well, here's a set list. Here's, here's a sheet, a gig sheet with all the information on it, you know, and 
I'll see you there. And it just turned out to be this incredible experience. Wow. That's, that's great. And you all did it very, very well. I mean, it's, it's a really, really great tribute. Um, what, what are your plans for that once we're back doing things live? I've got some theater interest uh, that's starting to develop. Um, the Barclay in Orange County is toying with the idea. Hopefully they go for it. Um, yeah. I've done it at the Festival of the Arts, which is great. Thank you, Susan Davis. <laughs> um, that's kind of the market that I really think would fit this kind of thing because it's very specific. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's one of those things that the people that love his music are ardent listeners. They're not people that are going to sit around and talk and be boisterous and they're going to be focused. And that's what I noticed at the Laguna Festival of the Arts when we did it out, you know, in that environment, which is primarily outdoors, but it's a covered, a new multi-million dollar facility that they put together. And I couldn't count how many people were there. I know there were over, over 800, maybe a thousand. Mm-hmm. And it was packed. It was just mm-hmm. standing room only. And they loved it. They were mm-hmm. into it. Every song, some people were mouthing the words, just, you know, singing along or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just an amazing experience. And I thought, wow, okay, let's keep doing this because people really like this. Yeah. But I have to put it in venues like that because otherwise I am definitely in the red. I'm not, yeah. not doing well with it financially. Big band. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Big band of top Yes. people you know the great people so yeah well that's great it's so it's so rewarding when you can do justice to you know such a great artist and you know being a cover artist is it's a tricky thing and I know that my opinion on this is very very debatable but I always feel like and I think you were alluding to this too that when you do cover someone else's music I think nine times out of 10, the closer you can get to honoring their, you know, original um, recording or, you know, representation of it, the better and the better received it usually is. And I guess that does depend from crowd to crowd, but Mm -hmm. I always feel like if you are going to cover somebody and steer away from what the original artist did, um, you really need to be doing something special and, and different with it and not just, uh, I don't know. No, I agree. You know, it, there, there's there's a couple of schools of thought that I have. Uh, one is if you're going to be a quote tribute unquote group, mm-hmm. where you use the word tribute in your thing, um, that kind of alludes to you're going to come out there with with a you know looking like the person, acting like the person, trying to cop their mannerisms and whatever. And, and I'm not into that. I don't want to be a, a, a knockoff the thing that looks like him, acts like him. No, I just want to do that music and do it with integrity. Yeah. So, so that's pretty much where I come from. But hey, if there are people out there that are they're trying to be like, you know, they, they take a band and they do everything down to the costuming and the hairstyles and whatever, that's cool too. You know, if yeah. they can pull that off and do it well, then, then I'm okay with that. But it just doesn't work for me. I have to be, you know, I have to do it the way I do it. But yeah, but I've, uh, the reception has been incredible. I'm just, I'm shocked at how many people like that. And then uh, locally at, in Temecula, at the old uh, Temecula Theater there, I did a smaller version of that. I brought six people, including myself, and um, we did a more esoteric set list of Algero stuff that wasn't focused on the pop stuff, more on the jazzy things like Sophisticated Lady and all these cool things where he gets to scat and, and mm-hmm. be real Algero-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, Cold Duck is one song we did. Uh, you know, that was received just as well, you know, in smaller band. But it just depends on what's what, what the calling is. If they want the big thing, they can have the big thing. If they want the smaller one, they can have that, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you to get it back out in circulation because it's it's so good. It just needs to be heard. It really, Thank really does. Thank you so yeah. much. That's, that's the goal. You know, when we yeah. artist types get out there and do something, we want to we want to do it well. We want it to be received and, and, you know, and hopefully get something out of it that we can be proud of. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So as we mentioned at the beginning, um, you uh, do way more than singing. You're also a sax player. What came first for you? Was it singing or sax playing? Singing. Yeah. I've been singing. singing since I was two years old and yeah. I'm 56 now. So that's a little while. Yeah. <laughs> A minute. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a minute. <laughs> the horn came about 
um, in the eighth grade, uh, 1978, I saw a kid and I was in a, a music appreciation class and we were playing flutophones, ah, <laughs> yes. you know, and I looked across the hall and those, you know, those rooms were the band rooms with the marching band for the junior high school. And I saw these kids filing in and one of them, this little skinny wiry kid had this big tenor saxophone on his, around his neck. And I went, whoa, that's cool. I want to do that. And I went home, told my mom, I want to do that. And she, she said, well, your uncle has a saxophone. Do you want, do you really want to play? And I said, yes. And so she talked to him and he sent it over. And I took a year of lessons with this incredible guy, Gary Bell. I mean, I don't know if he's still around, but, um, he was one of those guys that taught with old school style. He said, don't even touch the horn. Just take this mouthpiece and go home. Hmm. And, and over the next few weeks, what we're going to concentrate on is sound, tone, quality. He said, it doesn't matter if you play 10 million notes, if you're the toughest guy on the block with the scales and the whatever. He said, if you don't have a good sound, nobody wants to listen. Mm -hmm. So he was so right. And, and, he made me go home and I was driving people crazy. You know, they thought I was like a hunter out there with a duck call. But, um, <laughs> I practiced and practiced and brought it back. And then he, then we started working on a horn. And then my folks couldn't afford it anymore. So I joined the marching band at school, mm -hmm. the junior high band, and then learned more there through the instruction of the, the, the uh, director. Um, and then once I got into high school, did the same thing for a couple of years and then left, went to the military after I graduated took the horn with me to Germany and just kept playing. You know, I didn't finish any formal schooling or training after that. It was, that was the end of it. I just, the rest of it was just self-taught, mm -hmm. but um, I loved it so much that I was driven to study people and to try to have a nice recognizable sound of my own. And thank God for those early days, because I wouldn't have thought that, you know, the tone and the sound of the instrument was so important, but it is. Yeah. I, I have so much admiration for musicians that have, you know, more than one discipline. I mean, it's hard enough to become really, really great at one thing in music, but to, you know, to be good at two and to also market yourself in both, you know, avenues, because, um, if, if I'm not correct here, I would imagine people call on you equally as a singer and as a sax player. They do now, but there was a time where it was just about the horn. They yeah. didn't even—they didn't even know I sang. They had no idea. No one even in high school. No one, and it was only because, in my ridiculous mind, I thought uh, everyone can do this. Eh, what's the big deal with that? Everyone sings, you know. But see, this dear friend of mine once told me, "See, dude, there's a difference between singing and singing." Right. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you were given the singing gift. He said, not the singing gift. So do no, the singing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do the singing thing. I said, okay, I'll do the singing thing. So I just started doing that, you know, um, put myself out there as a singer as well. And, and it wound up being nowadays, it's more that than the other. Okay. So it's weird. It started one way and now it's completely flopped. Mm -hmm. flip-flop to the other side so how did you start working professionally I joined a band in the 80s known as Breezen in Orange County they're still together still amazing and great guys and um I think at the same time yeah at the same time I was working in aerospace and the guy that worked with me there by the name of Luis Santiago he heard me live and he approached me and said you know something man I'm getting ready to sign this deal and I want you in my band. Mm -hmm. I looked at him and I, oh yeah, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, at, but as it turns out, he was telling the truth and uh, I joined that band and the name of that band was identity crisis. And uh, at the time it was uh, a Spanish lyric and English lyric R and B group. So it was kind of both. Okay. And, staff with some really, really badass dudes. Um, and it was out around the same time the Color Me Bad was all popular. Oh yeah. So we released a project on Taboo Records with Motown as a distributor. No wait, at first it was A&M Records distributing. And then we wound up at Motown and that's the group didn't go anywhere after that. But while we were with A&M uh, and Taboo, 
we got a lot of interest in the video stuff we did. Uh, we did a Southwestern United States tour and people were all into it. Um, we got on a couple of shows that Selena was on and got a chance wow. to meet her family. We were even trying to put the tour together with them, but that didn't work out. But, you know, just, just working that whole thing. And then from that springboarding onto other projects from all the connections that are being made, you know, the networking thing again mm -hmm. came into play. Um, but I would have to say it all started in the clubs, as you were saying, you know, the club circuit uh, playing in Orange County for many years and being recognized by all these other musicians and, and you know, referrals and such. And then uh, after the Motown days, um, I got out of the recording industry because I just had a bad taste after that. I was just, I didn't want anything to do with crooked producers and general managers of record companies or A&R people or any of that. I didn't want anything to do with it. But the love for live performance was still so strong mm -hmm. that I continued even after that stuff fell through, you know, and, and they basically shelved us. Um, they didn't really know what to do with that band. <laughs> yeah. It was a little ahead of its time, but but um, the music is incredible. It really is. The, the name of the project was the Spanish Afro, and uh, great stuff, really yeah. great. But um, the two guys that put that together, Christopher Troy in L.A. and Zach Harmon in L.A. as well, uh, incredible producers. That their first group was Troop. They, mm -hmm. they got them started. They they wrote for the Whispers. They wrote for. Karen White, Nona Gay, just a, a whole list of people. And um, I'm still working with Chris, in fact, on, on stuff for my Gino. You know? mm -hmm. I do some stuff for him. Mm. But uh, just, you know, perpetuating that whole networking thing. And, and uh, all these years went by. And then I get this call from Greg Adams, of all people, who is the architect of the Tower of Power sound, mm -hmm. uh, the guy who did all the horn arrangements for them for 25 years. And he was looking for a singer and uh, he didn't know I played horn though. So he hired me to sing on one project on one, I think it was two songs. He had three other singers on the album and he wanted another. He was basically <laughs> trying to set up a bench so that if someone said they couldn't yeah. do something. And <laughs> okay. I can understand because he, he, he calls, he calls singers the fifth sex or whatever because he's had a lot of bad luck with them, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, it was it was really cool that he called because I've always dug what he's done. And mm -hmm. that group, T.O.P., is just still crazy popular. Yes. And um, his work is impeccable. All those arrangements, and those horns. <clears throat> so it was a thrill. And it's still a thrill. I'm, I'm still in that band after 11 years. I love going out with them. Um, but, you know, all these things we're talking about are all one after another of just meeting people, talking to other people, networking, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how it's all unfolded. I know. I love, I love hearing these stories because it's so fascinating to hear how, uh, you know, how a story begins and how it unfolds and you just, you never see what's down at the end of the road when you get started. And it's, you mentioned that you at one point you decided you wanted to get out of the um you know big label business and it's so funny how many people you meet that feel the same way and i think when you're talking to young artists that this is just not something that they could possibly understand or comprehend when you're coming into the business and naturally a lot of um you know fresh young up and comers and everything are are shooting for that goal which is awesome i mean it's great it's something that can really get the ball rolling for you. Um, but it's hard for them to even conceive at one point that you would have a change of heart about the direction you want to take your music business in. And it's certainly, and you don't know this aspect of it either is by that time, it's not that you're, it's not a, a failure or of any sort, but you, you discover that there are so many other channels in the music business that you can oh, go down yeah. that can be way more gratifying, uh, way better paying, way, <laughs> way more, you know, you could create a lot more success and satisfaction at them. But, um, you know, that just isn't something that you can really even tell. It's an experience. Thing. <laughs> it's an experiential thing. You have to, 
first you have to consider the maturity of who it is you're talking to, right? Level of experience they already have. And then, you know, you have to realize at a certain point that there's only so much you can say that's going to register because the rest of it, they have to experience. They have to go into this thing and go through the same things to find out where they fit and to find out what works and doesn't work for them. Because Mm -hmm. I could say whatever I want and say, yeah, well, you should do this, do this, do this, do that. But as we all know, as artists, there's no single roadmap to reaching any level in this business, whatever that is. And even as we're speaking, it's all being redefined anyway. Now we it have is right screaming now. <laughs> and, and all these different things and this cool Zoom thing we're doing, you know, and, and people are doing, like I mentioned earlier, virtual sessions. Like they'll they'll get their parts, they'll they'll finish their parts and email them off to someone who can just lay them into a track and there you go. They never even set foot inside a studio. But yeah. Um it's just, you know. It's, it's interesting. My thing is when I, when I meet people that are asking about how I got started that are interested in getting started, um, especially younger folks, I try to key the conversation on the topics of professionalism, reliability, preparedness, um, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, mm-hmm. not trying to take on something that you just weren't cut out to do. It's really important to know those things. And then to encourage them at, at, at the final and, you know, in the final analysis, at the end of the day, they're going to be encouraged by me to do it. Go yeah. all in, be all in and do it. But do it knowing that you should do this first before you get to the point of actually being offered a show or a session. Please be as prepared as you can. Please be as professional as you can. Please understand that you can't be out partying all night before you go work. Please understand that you need to know your material before you walk in because they're not going to stand around and be wasting money and watching the clock tick while you're trying to figure it out, you should know it before you get there. Um, And then while you're there, be mindful of other people's time, get it done. Don't keep going over and over and over and over be ready. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of live shows, show up dressed appropriately. You know, if it's a corporate thing that you're doing, find out what the the manner of dress is, find out the theme of the event, find out what the set list is, Know, know your parts, know the things you're responsible for. And, and be prepared to back up somebody else on what they're doing, you know, so don't just focus on only your little piece. You get, take a broad, you know, big picture view of it all. And then when you get there, treat other people with respect, you know, don't be one of those stage hogs that wants to take every solo, wants to play longer than the eight bars that you're given, right. you know, that, that wants to <laughs> sing everybody else's songs and be louder than everybody, you know, all those ridiculous mistakes that, that inexperienced people make or egomaniacs make, I try to encourage people to be professional about it, you know, treat it like the gift that it is, you know, because every show you get, whether it's in a bar, whether it's in a big stage, whether it's no matter where it is in the world, it, it is an opportunity to showcase. It's an opportunity to share your gifts. So treat it like that, mm-hmm. you know, and the people around you are there to support you when you're shining. But when you're not shining, it's your job to step back and support them. Yes. So that it's a collective because without, without the whole thing working together, it doesn't work anyway. Yep. Oh my gosh. You're, you're speaking my love language as a vocal coach, because <laughs> these are the type of things that I, I harp on so much because I, you know, working on your voice, uh, working on your craft is, is obviously critically important, but there are all of these underlying skills that aren't talked about a lot, but I personally see as the key to people's success. So when we got quarantined and I was trying to decide, well, what am I going to work on creatively? What am I really driven to do? My heart really poured into, um, you know, creating these courses on, um, you know, teaching singers, what these soft skills are and, Um, you know, what are, they're not secrets. They're actually very common sense things, but they're things that we don't really think of, Um, you know, and we, some, we easily forget and we we find ourselves, you know, being called for a gig, but then never being called back again and wondering why, why didn't they ever call me again? You know, and if you can kind of put a finger on these things, it'll, it'll really, really help you out. So I I wrote one course called um, I'm with the band do's and don'ts from a lead singer. So I want to check that out. Yes. I've gotten to present the class live a couple of times, but I've just put it into a digital course now. But oh, I nice. love that you said that because I really, I really do believe that, Daryl, that these, um, 
you know, just developing those business skills, those networking skills, soft oh, skills, yeah. everything. It's everything. so important. It really, especially now, you know, there was a time where you could put out a project and if you had all your ducks in a row, you know, you had your BMI account or your ASCAP account set up and you had some promotion going on, radio promotion, you could, you could see some money trickling in from royalties and whatever. But now with things like Spotify and Pandora and this kind of crap, you basically, they're giving your intellectual property away and paying you 0.43000 cents per spin. Mm -hmm. Okay, calculate that. Um, so there was a time where I was not very happy with that. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to go in the studio and spend $20,000 I can't recoup. Mm -hmm. Where, where's the impetus to do that when I know what, what they're doing out there? So I just try to find the other ways, like getting into sync licensing and, and dealing with <clears throat> song uh, uh, supervisors, you know, people that select music for videos and movies and, and TV and all that kind of stuff. I'm investigating that now because that's a very lucrative thing if you are chosen, but you have to continually provide material and, and stay on them and in their view, so to speak, at some point you might get lucky, but that's, that's where the real money is in terms of writing, um, sync licensing and, and getting your, your publishing working for you, you know? Yeah. I think that that's a super smart road for people to look down right now, having this you yeah. know time, if it's not something that they're into already, because you really, you can make a good living doing those things. Um, uh, my partner in the band, Mark Fulton, he's a great person to talk to about this. He's been in that business, you know, for a long time and has done extremely well. Um, um, and I'll, I'll have to get him to come on and talk about that at some point, but oh, you're yeah. totally I love right. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he kills me and he's a great guitar player. Yes, he is. Yep. A great it's songwriter probably... too. He oh, that's, see, that's the part I don't know about. So I'd love to experience that, you know, yeah, but I can see you, you guys put out a video recently that's amazing. I love the production on it and everyone is on fire and doing what they do well. And the mm -hmm. horns sound incredible. But see, these are all people I know. That's that's what makes it even more special for me because I've worked with some of them and, and to see them in their element doing what they do, it's just, it's really, really wonderful. I love it. Yeah, yeah I know. We have a great community here in San Diego. I, I love living here and I really love this time just to be able to, you know, reconnect with people, especially doing this show. Um, mm -hmm. That's been a lot of fun. These, you know, I get to catch up with people I haven't seen in a long time or that I really haven't even met in person. Um, and speaking of which, I just want to give a shout out to everybody that's joining us out there. We got Chuck Phillips out there. Speaking of great <laughs> saxophone players. Yeah. Chuck. Yeah. Hey, that's my boy. Chuck is yeah. great guy. And I mentioned Darrell Anthony earlier. John Green is with us. Awesome. Uh, Carolyn Wilson Spence. Oh yeah. Oh, let me tell you the quick story about her. All right. Now, <laughs> Kelly. This, this, this is a woman. Now that's my mom's best friend. You know, my mom, mom died in 2006, but um, was no, wait, 2000. And, God, I don't even remember. I guess it was 2006, but um, Carolyn, uh, she was one of those mothers on the block that you know all the kids gravitated to her house you know and it was one of those weird things where any on any given day you, you'd see this one that one this one what are you doing here oh i'm just hanging out, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> eating you know, food <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> eating her out of house and home yes but we had a special connection because her son her eldest son was my best friend back then mm -hmm. and uh he was a trombone player and we were in the high school marching band together so we'd go home and at his house and practice and whatever and play. And she would be right there the whole time, you know, and encouraging us and, and listening. But then when she heard me sing, she's like, oh my goodness. And so she would, she would just sit there and just put on her records, the Teddy Pendergrass and this thing and that thing, whatever it was. And she would just let me have her living room and, and just, it was my stage. <laughs> uh... She was a very critical, uh, part of the early days of me getting into this whole music thing. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you to you, Carolyn. Thanks for <laughs> supporting Daryl like that. <laughs> we're, we're lucky for it nowadays. <laughs> yeah. We also got um, Lisa Gradius out there. Rosa Almazon Reyes is here. All right. Valerie Barris and Susan Cook Woods and Colleen Elliott. Thank you all so much for 
joining us and watching tonight. Um, so speaking of networking in the music business, you obviously are a great networker because you yourself met a beautiful saxophone player and are now a newlywed. So <laughs> you've got to have some great networking skills. How is that going? And congratulations oh, to you. Thank you so much. It's going very well. All of my friends are telling me, you know, from the time I started dating Leilani till the time we actually wed, they've been telling me they've never seen me happier than they have. And, and they would know because I went through a 10 year period of, of what I call pretty much hell. Um, yeah. There were good times, but it was really very tenuous and arduous and difficult. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the time, sometimes personalities just, just don't, they weren't meant to be paired like that. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's enough difference where it just would never work. Um, but you know, I tried and then I realized, okay, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So let me just step out of that. And then this wonderful creature comes into my life and uh, she goes, whenever I tell her I love her, she says, why? And I said, well, oh. let's go down the laundry list. <laughs> <laughs> You're an incredible mother, you know, cause she's got uh, all her kids are in their twenties, you know, Alexa 24, who's, who's doing her thing in the kinesiology world. She's got, an, got her own degree in that. And, then uh, Dominic, the, the second in line, he's 22. He's about to graduate from San Diego State. And then um, Gino, the one I was telling you about earlier, who's a musician that plays trumpet, flugelhorn, upright bass, five-string electric bass. He's incredible. Wow. Um, but he's also holding a 4.3 in UCSD's electrical engineering program. Wow. So being a former aerospace person, I'm really helping, you know, as far as giving encouragement in that field as well, because I want him to go as far as he can with not only the music thing, but the electrical engineering, because the whole world is his oyster, you know, and with a great average, great point average like that in his second year, there's nothing he won't be able to do. Why you know? wouldn't you? Yeah, that's yeah. great. But she, she's raised these incredible kids, you know, she's, she's very thoughtful. She's an incredible chiropractor and a weight loss professional. And she's got her, you know, um, her processes, these different, she's just, she's into the things she's into and does them very well. So I have a lot of respect for her. I said, that's why I love you. And said, primarily because of the way you treat me. Mm -hmm. I said, that is the single biggest reason. Yeah. Um, there's a level of communication and respect between us that allows us to cover any topic. We don't yell at each other. We, we respectfully speak to one another and we just generally like being around one another. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, when people say I married my best friend, it's true in this case, because I feel weird when I'm away for too long. It's like, God, oh, I miss her. You know, yeah. she makes me laugh. She understands my quirks. She, she gets me when I'm around other people that don't it's just it feels like damn wish she was here <laughs> yeah oh god but I mean you know what I'm talking about yeah totally oh shout out to Leilani she's that's amazing yeah. and I'm so so happy for you and she's pretty too no aside from that too she's a, a great musician she yeah. I have to say and I, I'm saying this as a person that's been in this industry since 19, I guess, 87 professionally. Mm -hmm. um, she is the best sight reader I've ever worked with. Wow, she, really? She kicks my ass. I'm telling you, I'm like, man, I can't even compete with you. You just, just tell me what it is. I'll play. Nice. <laughs> no, she's, she's really good at that. And, um, you know, you know how some people are so humble to a fault. Sometimes she's like that. She can be self-deprecating. I go, no. I mean, I'm not telling you to be arrogant, but damn, celebrate your, you're bad. You, she sat in with Ira Liss's band just as a mm -hmm. sub for someone who couldn't be there. She went in there and I literally, she had only one day to prepare and she sat in there and played their whole show. Wow. That's awesome. Like, and she doesn't work as a saxophone player 365 days a year. You know, yeah. she's the doctor. She's out there doing her her thing with the weight loss and the chiropractic thing mm -hmm. and to, to see her do that. Cause I went in and I, I observed and I met Ira Liss. He's a very towering figure, but um, I was, I was completely blown away by how she just sat in there and just did that. Yeah. You know? Disciplined human being. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's incredible. You know, and I think it's, I can speak to this too, because my husband is a guitar player and when you, when you have someone in your life who understands uh, 
the musician life and, and the, we're weird people. We're strange people to get along with, you know, and there's a lot of strange things that you have to put up with in this industry. Just the kind of hours you keep, the places you go, the people you're with, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. And, um, when, when you can be with somebody who understands those things and can support them and, um, you know, not get caught up in, uh, I don't know, Jealous. Misunderstanding, <laughs> jealousy, and just, um, you know, the weird little caveats of it. It just, it can make your life and your relationship so, so much easier. Oh, man. I, I have that for sure. I'm so happy to have that in her, you know. Um, mm -hmm. She she more than clicks off, ticks off the boxes in what I would like for a perfect mate or partner. She, she exceeds all of that stuff. So it's like, this is easy. Mm -hmm. everything else before was work but this is not it really isn't yeah so I'm very blessed yes I'm so if we happy. could just get through this escrow crap and not ah. be stressed out, i'll be happy <laughs> yeah you're about to be a new homeowner and you're coming oh. to my hood yeah. <laughs> uh-oh everybody watch out <laughs> oh, man. the tuckers and the walkers are gonna be That's it. you're gonna raise hell in that town <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you've had a lot going on, um, in the past year and, um, we're, I'm thankful to be sitting here with you now because you had a very, very serious motorcycle accident that you've just recovered from. I did. I'm still in recovery. Um, yeah. going to PT physical therapy twice a week at the VA in, in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing great work with me. It, it's hard. It hurts mm -hmm. like hell, but it's the reason why I can use my arm you know they're, they're doing great stuff so mm -hmm. um, 28 uh, attachments and a steel plate later <laughs> they uh basically the short story short story is uh she and i were riding um in the borrego springs area somewhere around ocotillo or wherever mm -hmm. and <clears throat> it was one of those days where we just wanted to get out you know and go and we do this every now and then and um experience the bike thing so we're on this road, no one else around, I mean, for miles. And uh, she takes a left turn. I follow her to the left turn, but I'm on an outside track so that she can see me in her right rearview mirror. And I hit a patch of, of what I can only guess was loose asphalt. Mm -hmm. So in my lean in the turn, moving about 40 miles an hour, the bike just was gone. Uh. And I find myself traveling like you know mr incredible or whatever the hell superman or somebody flying through the air 40 miles an hour and and then i hit the ground thank goodness for protective equipment you know like the helmet and the, the body armor jacket and all that stuff and the gloves but uh as it turned out i broke my left humerus in four places two spots on the shoulder uh underneath where the shoulder connects and then down this area so there are four complete breaks and um, lucky for me, there was no no compound fracture where things bust through the skin. Mm -hmm. It was just all messed up and being held together by by the the uh, muscles in here. Yeah, wow. Wow, and it resulted in a helicopter transport. Mm -hmm. The whole bit, you know, that was a, a bit of a hard pill to swallow. But you know how much it costs to ride a helicopter like that? Can imagine <laughs> seventy three thousand dollars to go from. <laughs> Borrego Springs area to Kearney Mesa Trauma Center. Oh man. That's how much it goes. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. But uh all this time later, that happened on April 21st in in uh nine hours of surgery and you know, then the recovery, four days in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Came home and as soon as I was able, I started trying to move it, even though it was difficult. And uh here we are today, it's August and uh, I'm able to move around a little. I can't reach higher than this, but at least I can use it. I'm playing my saxophone again, which is really a thrill. Yeah. Because I didn't know if I'd ever be able to do that again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just very grateful that I didn't wind up hurt much worse than what happened. You know, I could have had multiple broken limbs. I could have broken my back. Could have, it could have been just really bad. Yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're doing well and that you're, you know, getting better that I know it could have been, uh, I mean, it's hard to think about what could have been, but <laughs> I'm glad that you're doing well. Me uh, too. Yeah. Are you going to ride again? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> if it had been my fault or I'd done something stupid, 
then I'd probably be afraid, you know. Yeah. But because it was a freak thing that I had no control over, I'm I'm looking forward to buying a new Harley and and experiencing that with her again on the weekends. We we love going like to Idlewild and staying overnight or whatever, you know. It just it's a different mode of transportation and it does provide a certain level of freedom because you can see things that you don't see in a car. Mm-hmm. You can't experience the wind, you can't hear the sounds and see, you know, with un unfettered view. It's just nice to do that. It really is. I've ridden for many years. Just I took a break from it because I didn't have a motorcycle for 30 years, but mm-hmm. um, I'll get another one. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I know my, my husband rides and um, we've had several Harleys throughout our life. I don't ride, but I ride with him and mm-hmm. we've always had so much fun doing that. Um, when we had our kids though, I think we kind of got into that fear zone of like, Ugh, you know, mm-hmm. it, with both of us being on the bike together, I think we just were too fearful of what the possibilities of that were. So, you know, you never know in the future, um, mm-hmm. what we'll do, but I don't know. And it's just, it's another weird thing too, when you're, when your body is your instrument and your ways of making a living, it's kind yeah. of scary, you know, the thought of what could happen. I, I remember, um, before, oh, I don't know, it was a, before one of our gigs or something, but, you know, Bobby Cressy, our keyboard player, slammed his finger in his car door and oh, messed his finger up bad. That I mean, hurts. He, Just hearing that yeah, hurts. Yeah. He, had, he had to go in and have stitches. It was, it was pretty gnarly, and it took him a while to heal up from that. But I just remember thinking, like, geez, you know, <laughs> we're, we're also, like, fragile in a way we're like we're like one step away from uh you know being in big trouble i hate to think about things like that but um, you do you need to be careful with yourself absolutely that's why my riding is pretty much restricted to you know rural open roads i don't i don't like being in traffic on a bike i've done it a few times and you know the whole lane splitting thing and all that Mm -hmm. Um, people don't realize I see people that do it that are pretty dangerous. They just move through too fast. Yeah. The whole, the whole intention of that in terms of the law uh, was to allow for air cooled bikes, not to overheat. So mm-hmm. and how do you do that? You have to keep air passing over the heads. So you, you kind of go through, that was the original intent, but you can see what people do now. They kind of like, they use it as a traffic avoidance thing. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, going through their miles, you know, 40 miles an hour. Oh, I don't know. Okay. That scares me to death. I've always trusted my husband. I think he's a really safe, cautious um, writer. So it's never been, I've never feared his abilities at all. It's everybody else around yeah, us. Yeah, you don't know <laughs> from one minute to the next who's going to do something stupid right in front of you that you have no time to react with or correct for. Yeah, yeah. there is that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, scary. Well, be safe. Be safe, my friend. And um, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with me tonight. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, when we can work together again. Um, oh, I've had such a great amazing. experience with you. Very talented woman. You're, oh. you're amazing. Your soul is, is rich and beautiful and you're a great person. It would be my pleasure.